Welcome to Stories of Growth, a series of conversations with modern day business leaders who share their stories of growth and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm William Rowe, founder and CEO of Protein. I've been helping businesses grow for over 20 years and I've always been fascinated with the people behind these businesses, where they've come from and what drives them forward. What's happened is this huge wave of, of amazing innovation and people now thinking of design as something that can change systems, can change the world, can really make a difference. Design is not just about how something looks, it's about how it works. For this episode, I sit down with Henrietta Thompson, co-founder of Hearth a high-end furniture and artwork rental platform that's looking to change the way we think about the objects we own. This was recorded in our studios in Shoreditch. Welcome, Henrietta. Thank Lovely you for to have me. you on the show. Uh, excited to hear your story, which I think I know some of, but I definitely don't know all of. So why don't we just start with who you are, um, what you might be known for, um, and I know you're known for a few things, so let's just mm -hmm. lay that out to start with. Okay, hi, um, thanks for having me. That's okay. Um, so, what do I do? It's always a really tricky question. Um, so that's I... why I say, what are you known for? Because <laughs> I, I hate for? that question. What do you do? It's Absolutely. like, I, don't, I do a lot of things, yeah. but you know, what am I known? Yeah. So I think I'm known as uh, as an editor and a journalist, first and foremost. Um, I've been writing about design and art and architecture for um, for the best part of 15, probably 20 years. <laughs> Something um, like that. <laughs> a long time. And, um, and it, you know, that's my passion. That's what I love. Um, is you know is is discovering the world of of design and art and the creative industries innovation um and all the people that make up that world um so i'm editor at large at wallpaper magazine i have a column in the telegraph um and i write a column a monthly column for british airways and flight magazine business life um those are my sort of regular things. I also contribute to um, a number of, of international papers and magazines and so on. Um, so that's that's what I'm known for, I guess. Um, I've done some books, done some exhibitions, um, always in the world of, of design. And the other things that you do that you might not be known for? Um, so for the last five years, I've had, um, I've run a, a I hesitate to use the word agency. It's a very boutique agency um, called Naked on the Piano, and we help to um, we help brands to tell their story in whatever way is uh, most appropriate. That can be anything from um, from editorial help, uh, brochures, copywriting, magazines, um, websites, and so on, all the way through to design and branding. Uh, Bit of strategy here and there, and um, uh, I mean, really, really everything that that falls under that storytelling banner. Essentially, it can be video, social media, all sorts. Um, and it's really, it's using, it's an agency that uses the network that I've built up over the years in the world of design um, and the the things that I've learned through doing that, and um, 
And really, yeah, we, we work with a small number of clients at any one time, probably eight to ten clients at any one time. They're largely luxury brands. Um, but there's, there's some outliers here and there. And, um, and there are always people that we have a, a great relationship with over a long time. Great. Other things. Um, my, my new... Your new uh, thing. My new thing is, um, is a new venture called Hearth. Um, and that is uh, something that I've been working on for the last two years or so. And it's a, um, it's a platform for uh, renting art and design uh, peer-to-peer, but also directly from brands and galleries as well. So you can completely change your space in whatever way you want for any amount of time. Um, it's quite a... It's quite a, a new concept, um, and we're just at, at the stage of sort of beta at the moment, and um, and building up really nice following on that. It's super exciting. It's a completely new thing for me, but again, still in still in design. Yeah, hundred percent. It looks it looks fantastic, and I mean, let's start with Hearth in terms of. You know, I read your columns, um, and they are you know, rooted in design as a constant, but always, as far as my perspective, forward-looking in terms of, you know, call it trends, call it forecasting, calling Mm -hmm. it, you know, new consumer behavior. Uh, So just trying to marry those worlds of the inception of Hearth and Mm. the problem it was looking to fix. Sure. Well... I think as a um, as a journalist, you know, you're always writing about things that are upcoming. You're always uh, it's it's essential uh, to the job to be a little bit ahead of the game to find out, you know, what um, how people are how people are um, uh, are changing, how the world is changing. As you say, call it trends, forecasting, whatever. Um, and in design particularly, uh, there's a lot of innovation. Uh, the nature of design is, is that people think very differently in this field. Um, I've noticed... You're talking about design thinking? Yes, yeah. Um, We're going to come back to that. Okay. Um, so on the one hand, I guess I, um, you know, I've been writing about innovators and disrupt- disruptors, and so that was always sort of front of my mind. But, uh, but also I've been speaking to manufacturers and designers for a long time who seem it seemed they were coming up against this problem of um, a there being too much stuff in the world uh, the sustainability of that um, the you know how can they justify creating more you know furniture more design more stuff um, in a world that do we really need it um, and you know spaces are getting smaller, et cetera, et cetera. So the manufacturers you know, so. are asking that question. Absolutely, and the, the solutions seem to be either you know creating modular things or um, bringing in flexibility through the design of the furniture itself, um, creating things for smaller spaces, creating things for um, that will be say more disposable. Um, and to me, that always felt like a compromise in some way. It seemed very. Um, kind of anti-creativity in some way it was always like you know just oh let's let's like modularity particularly and nothing against modularity but it's not the only solution and then, you know you can see what's happening in other industries with um with fashion and cars and houses and you know um all sorts of other industries whereby it there's a you know a circularity to things and a circular economy and it just seems very odd that with furniture and interiors we're so 
sort of um, was still so stuck on this idea that everything is permanent and you know you have your furniture for life and it doesn't move and it doesn't change and it just seems odd to me because um, it's not that hard to move a, a table really so how <clears throat> if that was the driver the the you know the the concept um, mm. yeah what has the response been the response has been amazing um, and um, give me the, give quite... me the quick timelines for people who haven't haven't heard it or seen it yet okay so um, from so inception of like mm, inception idea like that germ of that idea like what, would what, have been was three that? years ago okay um, and it was you know. <laughs> Uh, so it was. It was my was husband. There, was there a husband particular moment? Yeah, there was. I mean, we uh, we'd been moving house a lot and um, and moving offices. We had stuff in storage. We had um, various things happening, and it was kind of frustrating. And I I do remember that actual moment of of going, oh, what if? Um, what if there was this in you know this sort of circular economy or disruptive type business in interior design? What would that look like? And I remember thinking. If it was a good idea, someone else would have done it. And then the more we thought about it and the more I spoke to other people about it and realised actually it was a much better idea than I'd originally thought. <laughs> and um, and all the kind of, you know, the, the, the reasons why not being things like, you know, logistics and insurance, you know, what happens if something gets damaged, you know, they're, they're all solvable things. They're, they're minor, really, in the grand scheme of, of stuff. And... Um, and so, and the more people that we spoke to, the more we realised actually everybody has this problem and, um, and everybody wanted this solution. And so it kind of snowballed from there. Um, and I remember at that point, you know, there was sort of, there was a huge contingent, um, it was a huge amount of pressure from, um, I guess, business advisors that we spoke to and potential investors, or just anybody in that sort of startup world going, Oh my gosh! Amazing idea! You have to do it fast. You know, go big, go fast, do it now. And um, and it really felt like someone else was going to do it any day. And and you know, we had to. And this was three years ago, and we've only just gone live with the beta. And it still feels like you know, there's a there's an education piece to do. I mean, you certainly, um, you know, there's a lot happening in this in this world of circular economy. There's a lot happening, um, particularly in. Um, in San Francisco and, and you know this sort of world of tech, but nothing in in this space, and um, or certainly no, nothing quite like what we're doing. Um, and it has been a journey to get here. Um, so as, yeah, as I say, we've just gone live with the beta, but the response now has been amazing. One thing that is probably worth noting is that even you know even six months ago or a year ago the whole concept of hearth took quite a lot of explaining before people went oh, okay i get it whereas now it takes three seconds and people get it immediately so i i feel like we're, we're inching towards a tipping point with with the rental market for sure so explain it to our listeners so it's it's as <laughs> <laughs> queuing that up yeah absolutely <laughs> Um, it's it's super simple. It's a it's a sharing platform for art and design, um, and it's uh, so you can upload your own things um, for them to be rented out by somebody else to make the space for new things, 
you can so instead of instead of putting them in storage, essentially you can make money from your furniture and your art, um, and you can rent new things or nearly new things uh, directly from brands, directly from artists, and also peer to peer. It's just in London at the moment. But. So those are the three options. I've got stuff that I want to rent. Mm-hmm. Um, I make some money from. Yeah. I've got stuff that I want to rent that I would like some other stuff in return. Mm-hmm. Or I just want to rent some stuff from someone else. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, basically. Yeah, it means two, it's two things, really. So, you know, you rent out or you rent in. Yeah. Yeah. How does that... I've got a nice picture. Mm-hmm that I want to rent on Hearth? Mm-hmm. Wow, how does that work commercially? So you set up a profile. How much? How does it work commercially? Yeah. Um, how much can I get from a picture, Henrietta? So you take <laughs> the value. Um, so Of the picture? The value of the picture. So that can be a value that you assign to it or it can be the retail value. Yeah. Um, usually they're the same thing. Uh, and then for the first month, um, it would be... Seven percent. So the rental price for someone to, to borrow it would be seven percent of that value. A month. A month. Yeah. Um, and that's also if it's less than a month, you'd still pay the seven percent. Yeah. Uh, and then every month thereafter, it's three and a half percent. Okay. For as long as you want to rent it. Yeah. Transport. Transport. Moving, we have hanging. we have logistics partners, which are um, uh, we have we have a variety that's of partners included, that we work That's included with. in the. That's on top. Okay. Um, and obviously, it goes down in price for the more items that you have. Yeah. You know, and um, and the bigger we get, we hope to you know operate on on absorb, scale with absorb that. Absorb some of those costs. Yeah. So what what can I just to give listeners a a taste of what's on Hearth? What what might they find there? So you could find um, so you could find a an amazing chandelier if you wanted to rent a chandelier you could okay. find um you know we've got uh, artworks by anthony gormley on there we have uh we have incredible lighting and lamps uh, we've got everything from sofas to uh to sculptures to chairs and i mean there's things by, by well-known brands like sir tom dixon and lee broom um up-and-coming brands like tom raffield um, we have uh, antiques dealers uh, with huge collections such as Talisman or Kairos Collective. Um, huge number of things. It's all very curated, so everything so will be it's, lovely. So it's, a, it's more than individuals then? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So you're working yeah. with dealers? Directly or with, with dealers and brands, with, yeah. With brands to help, well, rent rather than buy? Yeah. Okay. And yeah. how do they feel about that? Well, it's, otherwise it's just dead stock, isn't it? So if they okay. have things that are particularly... Sitting in the warehouse. So this is exactly. a new product, this is old product, or uh, a bit of both? It's both, depending on, depending on which manufacturer it is or which dealer. Um, so obviously with antiques, antiques are antiques. But, uh, but with, say, uh, with some manufacturers, they're testing it by using X-Display or things that have been in a show... Um, Things that uh, that are in extremely good, near perfect or perfect condition, but that you know otherwise it's just sitting there. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we can manage that whole process for them essentially. That's awesome. So where? What's the plan? What's the plan? <laughs> Where's this going to go? Uh, what, is there a goal, a destination? You know, where? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're building this in London at the moment because we really want to get it right here. 
We um, we have a lot of work to do on the platform. As I say, we're in beta um, mm -hmm. at the moment, and it's it's a very very simple basic site at the moment. You know, you can log in, you can upload your things, you can request to borrow things, but ultimately um, the functionality of the actual platform, um, I'm very ambitious for. You know, I really want it to be um, as seamless and as, as joyous as possible. Sure. Um, and uh, so there's the platform itself. There's all of the storytelling around um, around design, which is you know is obviously something that I really care about. Sure. Um, one of the things that and I that love is sorry just mm. to connect it to the piece. Mm. So there's a real understanding of its provenance and its story Absolutely. and its heritage. That's that's the thing I find um, really quite exciting about this concept is that traditionally when you think of renting something think of it it's a it's a second rate option because it's a second hand item and it's you know maybe um maybe it's it's a bit battered or something you know and it belongs to a rental company whereas this way you know you can click on an item and you can see where it's been before you know its story and it starts having that sense of provenance and history and also and each person who who borrows it can add to that story mm. in a way. So it's it's very much more nice. respectful of the piece and because we don't own our own stock, it's you're not limited for choice. Yeah, and I, I mean I, I think it's a great idea. Um, and definitely drawing on parallels to fashion industry from Absolutely. rental of handbags through to couture. And we had an event the other week downstairs for our Dirty Words exclusivity report with the guys from Hire, who are based just up the road. Brilliant. And, you know, same model, yeah. diff different product. Yeah. Uh, but it's as much about the a respect to the quality of the garments, mm -hmm. the creator, the materials, and, you know, but overall it's a, it's a sustainability story. Absolutely. Of why bringing more fashion products into the world that... Yeah. You, do you really need that? Mm -hmm. Versus actually this is beautiful and yeah. it's incredibly well made and that's obviously why it's expensive and you know, exactly. and it's not about necessarily affording it because a lot of people could afford it, but yeah. actually do they should should they be buying it or should they be sharing it? And that, that is the exactly. huge shift in behavior. Exactly. Um, you know, I th the thing that I've, I've really, especially now, believe in is that... Um, that renting or temporarily owning something is... So how is do you it, define it? As, it? as in renting or... As in a, a verb of... Well, we like to say halving. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Halving is a new verb. So, uh, yeah, so you can half things. But, you know, we talk about lending and borrowing just because the word rent is too confusing because you can rent in and rent out. Yeah. All of that, but... But okay. temporarily owning something is um, is something that is actually better than owning something for a long time because after you've had something yeah, for a couple no, of years, no. you know, you're sort of bored of it anyway. And so, and how do you feel about IKEA going looking at rental models? Well, um, I mean, I sorry, mean, they're going beyond that. They are launching. They a are product, actually right? doing it. They yeah. are doing it. And you know, from our point of view. It's you know it's certainly one of the best things that could happen because you know they have such reach and they have such um, you know people are people are looking at what they're doing so as soon as they announced that everybody was calling us saying you know um, renting is clearly happening now that IKEA is doing it 
and it sort of gives it gives the customer like, peace oh, of you're mind. You're reading that it's my not columns. So weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <I> know, right. <laughs> Obviously, that you know, um, that's that's where that's come from. But um, no, we're uh, we're really excited because uh, you know, th- while they're they're in a very much a different market, I know that they've been looking at solutions to the same problem for a long time. Yeah, you know, it was. It was, um, I think, you know, one of their, a quote from their sustainability guy um, about having, you know, reached peak stuff, peak curtains, peak mm-hmm. everything, um, was was one of our, I remember putting that in our business plan quite early on, you know, we have reached, the world has reached peak. Yeah, suffocation, I mean, that whole, which, and that isn't you either. That is, yeah. that is omnipresent in all consumer behavior or increasingly omnipresent in sort of consumer purchasing behavior. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So you, moving it on a bit, you've set this up with your partner. Mm-hmm. How's that? Well, we, we've in done... In a partner relationship sort of going into business thing. world. Um, I'm really glad I do work with him because otherwise I probably wouldn't see him, honestly. <laughs> we're like, we're, uh, we're, there's, a, there's obviously a huge amount of stuff going on at the moment. Um, we, we take care of quite different things within the business and, um, and we've worked together before with, uh, with Naked on the Piano too. So it's something that I guess, partic- I mean, you see a lot, of, a lot of husband and wife couples in business in the creative industries particularly I think it's because it's one of those worlds where you do end up taking your work home yeah and so you know it just sort of happens um and uh yeah it um it works for us I can I can see that it wouldn't work for everyone um it certainly has been incredibly helpful now that we've got two very small children um to be able to parent and do work and so on on a relatively equal basis, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so any, far so good. Any tips for <laughs> potential prospective people who might be thinking about going into business with their other half? Um, Do's and don'ts? Communication. I mean, yes. Yeah. <laughs> essential. Um, really essential. And sense of humor, really essential. Um, and yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I, we weren't so sort of transparent about being a husband and wife team when we did, when we did started with the agency. That was something we kind of, we weren't sure how that would come across. Um, in whereas, terms of communicating it to clients, yeah, it was it was kind of like a, you know it it just happened. It wasn't like part of our story. Whereas with Hearth, it's very much like you know this our, our personal story is a part of the Hearth story. Mm-hmm. So we've been much more open about it, um, and I feel like it is something that's better received these days than maybe it used to be. Um, but I meet so many people now who are in business with their other half, um, and. Yeah, I guess you do need a certain sort of relationship. Some people are just too different and they like to have separate lives. And yeah. you know, we certainly have separate lives as well, but um, so far it works. All right. So far it works. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Let's go way back. In terms of your uh, you know, world of design and your passion and which, as I said, is, you know, that's certainly a constant in everything that you've done and you're certainly I've seen. 
Where, where do you think that's come from in terms of your childhood, your folks, you know, that early, you know, informative, defining years? That's a really good question. Um, I, I, I don't know. Um, I've where always been a very visual person. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Oxford and um, uh, quite, uh, I mean, I'd say normal upbringing. Of course, it was normal to me, but, um, you know, fairly, uh, yeah, just normal upbringing, uh, old, older sister, um, and just, um, I guess I always loved art, but... Um, Were you surrounded by art? What was your parents' world? A bit, not really. Um, so... Always, I guess, always sort of um, encouraged to do things that I loved, and I've always, I always just really enjoyed art. Very, as I say, very sort of visual person, um, and and yet didn't want to go down that fine art route. And the more that I learnt about design and design history, which I guess probably happened just before university, even really, um, it's more just just an interest that kind of I followed. I should work out a better story around that. Interesting. <laughs> Journalist note to self. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> must write a better story about my childhood. Yeah. But was that... Okay, so leaning on to design thinking, mm. define it for me. For I mean, I, I think I know it, but there's a few different iterations of it shall we say mm, okay um so when i first started writing about design um so i i mean i my first job was at okay magazine and i wrote about like fashion um as a junior junior fashion assistant um i didn't know that and um and it was it was it's funny <laughs> to think back because that was when um they were then known as Posh and Becks, uh, were getting married and they okay. sold their wedding to OK Magazine for £1 million. And it was, you know, it was quite a sort of seminal moment in magazine publishing. Um, and you were part of that? I was, uh, I was, yes. So I was, I was doing modern brides' guides and uh, uh, engagement ring shoots and everything, you know, came back from the sub saying, more gushy, please, and <laughs> all of this stuff. Um, it, was, it was amazing. But, uh, but also fashion wasn't really for me particularly not there and um and I took a job on a um on an engineering magazine instead which was a whole different a whole different thing there were like six people in the company and an engineering magazine yeah you went um, from okay magazine to an engineering magazine yeah wow and I thought that I didn't think I would be there for very long I thought it would be a great way to move up ranks I was quite, really quite ambitious I guess um Wanted to, to get more experience faster, and I thought I would do that on a smaller team. Um, and then just got really sucked in because it was it was it was fighter jets and Formula One, and um, and then design, industrial design. And I, you know, that was where I met people like Jonathan Ive and um, uh, and Ross Lovegrove and these incredible designers, Ron Arad, and and people who um, had this extraordinary design community going on but they read engineering magazine because they didn't have a magazine of their own so wait which magazine is that what it was called yeah obviously it was was an engineer's magazine called engineer's magazine and it was (laughs) very much trade publication but a lot of the readers were industrial designers is it still running so 
Yeah, probably right, it might it be up. a different different sort of format now. But um, so as a result of that, uh, uh, the publishing company uh, we basically thought thought right we need to do a magazine for industrial designers for designers, um, and so set that up, and uh, that was an amazing experience. But back then when you talked about design to anyone who wasn't in that design industry, they thought of it as styling and it was the afterthought. And that Graphic was design. Sort of, yeah. yeah. Um, or, you know, even if it was product design, that the, the designer would only get their hands on it right at the very last minute and yeah. make it pink if it was for a woman or, you know. Uh, it, was, it was very frustrating, I think, for the design industry at that time. And then... Um, and. I've been lucky enough, I guess, from to from that stage to have uh, to make a lot of amazing connections and really uh, get insight to this sort of world of very inspired people. Um, so wait, what year are we now? Ooh, two thousand and three. Okay. Something like that, um, and. Uh, yeah, and so, you know, and with over the next decade or so, things really just, there was, there was a sort of a wave of, of design thinking where suddenly it became something that was, you know, back then you would never see design covered in the Sunday supplements. You'd never see, it, like, somebody being profiled to the extent that they are today. And what's happened is this huge wave of, um, of amazing innovation and people now thinking of design as something that can change systems, can change the world, can really make a difference. And it's not just how stuff looks. So what is it? How do you define it? Um, solving problems in a systematic way. No, not in a systematic way. In a, in a uh, I guess, design is not just about how something looks. It's about how it works. And um, it's a much more whole systems thinking process. Okay. Function over form? Mm, both together. Function informs the form. All right. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I reason I ask because I'm fascinated by it as a discipline, as a whatever category you want to put it in, a way mm. of thinking, you know, yeah. a mindset, if we're talking about our sure. language of behaviours and yeah. you know, the shifts that affect, you know, change and cultures. Yeah. And that to me is the, uh, you know, and I don't want to talk about AIs or the bots or, you know, the technology because, mm -hmm. you know, good technology is transparent right? it, mm -hmm. it's an enabler it's yeah. not the thought process that yeah um precedes it yeah and that to me is where design thinking is so relevant mm -hmm. today in terms of you know the world of you know, the world in a planet but you know the world in which we you know, we show up or the subcultures in which you know define the um you know, are defining these behaviours. And, uh, yeah, in short, I, I just feel it's incredibly under... I mean, it's not misunderstood. I mean, maybe it's misunderstood, but definitely un undervalued mm. as, a, as an approach. For sure, definitely. Mm. Um, and that's, that's really changed, I think. Um, so 
If you think of some of the things that have happened technologically over the last couple of decades and the introduction of smartphones and um, and all of these other sort of disruptive technologies, um, it's design that's given them the shape that has enabled them to be massive. Yep. Um, that's enabled them to be usable and change people's worlds and change people's um, lives, really. Yeah. yeah. Slow tech. Mm. The show that we did. I remember that. Love that show. Still love that show. When was that? Ooh. I was trying, I was looking up seven years ago. We've been here five, it, I, at least seven right. years ago, well, I think. Wow, yeah. So yeah. Henrietta came to us with the idea of doing a show in Hewitt Street, our previous building, where we had a beautiful little gallery space around the world of slow tech. And I still talk about that show in terms of A, who was in it, but mm -hmm. B, you know, what it was trying trying to say. Yeah. So maybe yeah. you can give your own introduction to your show. So let me remember. I mean, I feel, I feel like it's something that people are still revisiting in terms of a brief. And the brief at that time was, you know, like, look at how people are... Uh, becoming addicted to technology in their smartphones in a way that is potentially taking them away from uh, life at large. Um, and so how can, if, you know, if we're looking to designers to solve problems, how could designers come up with something that helped us to have a better relationship with the technology that, so that, you know, so that we're... Uh, we're in control of the relationship rather than the machines, mm -hmm. if you like. Um, and so I took that brief to a number of different designers. Um, and it was it was really well received. I think, you know, something that I've always found is that is that designers, great designers, are always um, intrigued by a good brief and yeah. a good problem. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so that one... Um, you know, we had uh, we had some really great pieces. I'm trying to think what there was now. Um, there was a there was something that gave you a little electric shock whenever you went to your, went to your smartphone. I like that one. There was a like a wall clock. Oh, there was one that actually I think it was in uh, Hector Serrano did this watch, which basically was a precursor to uh, what Apple now have, which is screen time. Essentially, so it showed you. It was a watch that showed you the um, the time that you were spending on different social media apps, and uh, yeah, it was next to Serrano. So it would show you that you'd spent three hours on Facebook that day or whatever. Yeah. Um, as a way to to check your behaviour. It was Nick Reeps was the electric was the, ele the electric one. Yeah, I'm just looking it up because. See how I was trying to find it off? earlier and I couldn't find it. It was just like, <laughs> I, I, that was somewhat, I mean, that's Nick's view on design is somewhat extreme. And uh, <laughs> it, it all, makes you it, think, it always, right? right? Yeah. No, but it was the watch, the um, the Facebook, that's right, Twitter, yeah. you know, but use, that's exactly use, what usage screen time stats. Does now. And that's exactly what, this is eight years ago. Yeah. Seven years Before ago. Before our time. There you go. September 2011. Yeah. Um, so, what? I, where's that going to go in your 
journalistic forecasting world of, you know... Oh, I'm obsessed with this subject in that, you know, I think... You know, the the upsides and the downsides. Absolutely. Because, you know, we're seeing this in, you know, the research that we do around the Gen Z or the, you know, the kids coming through. Yeah. You know, there is, there's fallout. And, you know, from a mental health perspective, just from a behavioral perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, and on a, on a generation you know at large mm-hmm. but also there are on a more positive side signs of hope and yeah, sure. understanding awareness um you know, increased you you know down times off times real world times so mm-hmm. you know it's not all bad but it's really it's not all bad you know your... the capabilities that it's given us and the access to information that it's given us and you know the things that are now possible such as half um are all only possible because of because of this amazing technologies and it's exhilarating and incredible and I wouldn't want to change that um, but at the same time it's addictive and um, and it's you know I I don't think it's a bad analogy to say it's the new smoking in some ways you know for all that smoking probably didn't have as many positives as this does it's um, it's funny that I talk about smoking as a, in the past tense. <laughs> People still smoke. Anyway, um, it's they, uh, they vape. It's very yeah. It's, it's very different from how it how it used to be. Um, but it's, it's the same is going to happen to booze as well. Yeah, it's already happening. Very much so. Yeah. Um, but the analogy here is addiction. It's, you know, it's in addiction. whatever form of drug def- you define it in terms of. Uh, and this is necessarily illicit consumption because mm. you know that is all alcohol is. It's just taxed yeah. uh, and yeah. in a somewhat different way totally. but the rise of a, a CBD or a hemp or a cannabis you yeah. know, you, you're putting that in the same category um, I think that people unless I mean I speak of somebody who literally walked into a lamppost this morning because I was <laughs> checking my phone as I was walking along that's a pretty bold admission um, I know did anybody but... see me <laughs> You know, practice what you preach. But, um, nobody, nobody spotted you. I hope not. I know lots of people did. Very embarrassing. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm the worst at it. And actually, I'm, I'm reading an amazing book at the moment, which um, is another James Wallman who wrote Stuffication book. His book, his new book's called Time and How to Spend It, and. Um, and it's this you weren't like, reading that on your phone. No, but I, you know, I, I do read it while multitasking in other ways, like you know, having a bath or whatever. You know, you're sort of multitasking. Yeah. What, yeah, exactly. But what? Um, even just in the very first chapter, he talks about um, how actually, as a society, we have more leisure time than we've ever had, and yet we feel much poorer in terms of leisure time and one of those reasons is because we're spending two-thirds of our time on screens Uh, and another reason is because we're multitasking um, because we can so we're taught to use our we're taught to use our time essentially to be more productive at work and we're using those same tools to be more productive at work for our leisure time so we're multitasking in our leisure time and that's actually I think he calls it I'm not sure if it was he him that came up with this phrase but it's contaminated time when you're trying to do too many things at once in your leisure time just to be more productive 
and I'm the worst at this, so I'm finding it a real revelation. Um, you know, don't check your check the news while you're um, also trying to play with your child, trying to you know um, dry your hair or whatever. You know, it's all just. It, I'm really, I'm, I'm really looking forward to finishing the book and learning how to better manage leisure time. But the point was... What's the book called again? It's called Time and How to Spend It. Okay. And it's all about leisure time. But this idea that you know, we, have, we have as a society more, more leisure time than we've ever had, and yet we don't feel it. Yeah, that makes total sense. On my side, it was kids mm. in terms of a you know, check-yourself mm -hmm. behaviour. Hugely. And... Um, yeah, five-year-old and a two-year-old and a five-year-old, you know, we've now got, you know, yeah. we're not like a rules sort of house, but there is a rule for phones. And it's so important. It is so important. So important. Um, and, you know, again, mapping it back to, you know, our childhoods of pre-mobile. Yeah. You know, there wasn't, it didn't exist. Yeah. So in terms of being present and... So important. You know, setting examples and exactly. this isn't anything fancy or you know, aspirational it's just yeah just literally be be present you know and you see how much you know you see how children look at adults all the time you know when they're in the room and, and for that adult to not be present yeah because they're just absorbed in the screen it's it's heartbreaking and um uh yeah i mean talk about being so what's the solution being, i think just less screens put them away better behavior more discipline. More discipline. Definitely more discipline. Like really. More electric shocks. Yeah, loads of them. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get Nick Roop. Nick, if you're listening, we need to reinstate your electric shock. That'll be easy now. Now you've got screen time. Right? As soon as you set your thing, you can't pick up your. You can build it into a case. Yeah. It'll be like, dzz, dzz, like oh shit. <laughs> totally. I mean, Nick would totally be up for that. I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah. But it's you know it's it's really vital. But so certainly, I mean, I'm I'm the same in that they uh, kids have imposed much more discipline in how I spend my time. So I thought I was busy pre kids, but now having a new business and two young children, um, it's kind of it 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 puts limits on your time, and that the work day has to finish at a certain time, whereas before it could just sprawl. Um, and yeah, now it's very much you know work finishes, and and then you're with your kids, and so you you have to be much more, much more disciplined to get stuff done within the allotted time. And if it doesn't get done in the allotted time, it doesn't get done. I hear that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you there. Mm. Okay, couple more questions. Mm. Uh, what? If there is a tip, piece of advice, you know, a life lesson in your journey so far that you've always you know, subscribed to or you know, shared? Um, 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 I think... So... I'm definitely somebody who um, it's not so much necessarily positive thinking as um, as focusing on what can and will go right and what I want to go right 
more than on the risks. So there's a lot of things I wouldn't have done if I thought too hard about the risk that I was taking. And essentially, um, you know, life is life is for living. And it's, this is another thing with kids, actually, is that you... You want to sort of wrap everybody up in cotton wool and not do anything dangerous anymore. And how are we defining dangerous? Oh, whatever it is. I mean, literally, <laughs> it, I think it's very easy just to kind of to, to bring your world in closer and closer and closer, and just and um, and not want to take any take any risks, whatever those risks might be. Um, but it's so important to to just get out there and do the stuff and not. Um, not listen to the to the naysayers. Stay positive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like that. I think so. Um, yeah, and and just try it. What's the worst that can happen? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not think about oh. that. Let's not think about that. <laughs> mm. uh, good advice. Mm, I hope so. Um, what is the best way for someone to contact you? Um, um, probably in, yeah, in uh, in writing. So over email. Yeah, send me a carrier <laughs> pigeon cool. for sure. That would get my attention. There you go. Um, so yeah, e- email and uh, and over social media. I think probably. Okay. Um, uh, Socials? That's, uh, socials, fine, yeah. Yeah, so okay. Instagram, whatever. Mm-hmm. And final question, in terms of who would you like to hear on the show? Ooh. It doesn't have to be one person. Ooh. Gosh, that's a really good question too. Mm. Uh, who's in your you know, horizons or your worlds at the moment that are... You know, catching your interest. Well, get James Wallman on here because we've just been talking I, about his book. I made a note about that. There we go. Yeah. Um, and so it's almost like a word association game. Uh, Tamara Sword, who's an amazing tech um, and communications guru, who so many insights um, on all sorts. So I can... Uh, she's, yeah, she's incredible. Um, and who else... So many exciting things going on. Um, I love the sort of the storytellers of design. I think um, where that's going is really interesting at the moment. So Studio Swine um, and Glithero and love those guys. Yeah, those guys. Um, they always have really interesting stories to tell. Um, I have a long list. I thought you might. Let's keep it at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Henrietta, it's been a pleasure. Uh, great to hear your stories of growth. And um, yeah, Thanks looking to forward to <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to seeing how Hearth will you know, take over the world. Thank you very much. It's been really fun. Cool.